Welcome to Light Treason News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm your host, Allison Kilkenny, flying solo this week because, you know, uh, life sometimes throws unanticipated curveballs at us, say a, an emergency where we rush to the vet with our little cat named Penny. She's fine. I mean, you know, she's like 16 years old, so she is as fine as an elderly cat can be. Um, but, you know, the joys of owning two senior pets. I have two cats. If you're a new listener, just tuning in. Hello. Welcome, first of all. The show's not always like this. I just um, need to vent up top. But, you know, uh, unanticipated vet visits, huge vet bill, <laughs> uh, the joys of senior cat ownership. But hello, everyone. I hope you're doing well. Uh, if you're new to the show, here's how it works. I talk about pop culture. Uh, I review stuff. Usually have a co-host, sometimes have a co-host, sometimes fly solo. Today, I just couldn't get the schedule together. But while we're on the note of the structure of the show and scheduling and things of that nature, I wanted to bring up something that I've been considering for a while, and I just want to get feedback. Nobody freak out. I haven't decided anything yet. But I just wanted to get your feedback because... I had anticipated a drop-off in listenership after the Trump years, the Trump administration, and lo and behold, we got that little uh, drop-off. I saw it in, uh, you know, sometimes I check the stats, and there has been a dip. So I have been considering switching the show to a bi-weekly show. Right now it's weekly. So just because, you know, I, I'm a millennial, so I have four jobs and uh, time is scarce and I do pay my co-host, which is expensive. Um, I'm glad to do it. It's the right thing to do. It's part of the reason that a lot of you financially support the show, which I appreciate. So I am happy to do that, but it is expensive, you know. So uh, I have been considering switching to a bi-weekly format, but I wanted to get feedback on it. I'm sort of anticipating that a lot of you are going to be like, Allison, this isn't even in the top 1,000 things I'm stressed about right now. You do you, whatever. But, you know, I care about what y'all think. So I just wanted to know what you think what you're feeling. I know sometimes maybe you're listening to a lot of podcasts and they're stacking up and you would appreciate a bi-weekly podcast instead of a weekly commitment. I don't know. I don't know how you're feeling. I don't know what's going on with you. So let me know. Hashtag light trees and pod. Just something I've been considering. You know, mama's been hosting a podcast uh, of, of one format or another for over a decade. And it's a lot. So I have been considering the bi-weekly thing. Just FYI. Just to let you know. And I don't think it would diminish the quality of the show or anything like that. If anything, I could probably accumulate more good news stories. Because <laughs> sometimes, I don't know if you've noticed, I got to stretch the definition of good a little bit. But yeah, just FYI. Let me know. Twitter's the best way to get a hold of me, but you can also email the show lighttreasonnews at gmail. Man, can you tell I don't really check the email that much? But yeah. So while we are in the recommendation section, I got some recy recs for you precious little babies. And one of them actually will come into play with a good news story. But if you have not done so already, I highly, highly recommend you check out Judas and the Black Messiah. 
And specifically, you know, I was fully prepared watching Judas and the Black Messiah where, you know, the cast is so stacked that I knew there were going to be powerhouse performances, incredible performances, and I was not wrong. You know, Daniel Kaluuya, Lakeith Stanfield, Jesse Plemons, amazing, amazing, amazing. Wow. But I, and, you know, chalk it up to my own ignorance because I hadn't seen uh, The Deuce, I believe, is, is one of her other credits. But Dominique Fishback gives an incredible performance in Judas and the Black Messiah. And I don't want to brag, everybody, but I was fangirling all over the place about her on on Twitter and um Dominique Fishback retweeted me so I basically was in Judas and the Black Messiah is what I'm saying so I'll take my Oscar thank you but I have seen some criticism of the film that and I you know some of the criticism I don't agree with um, one of the criticisms I've seen is that, in case you don't know the the backstory of Judas and the Black Messiah, this is not a spoiler, but essentially Lakeith Stanfield plays this guy who is a criminal, like a petty sort of criminal, and he gets picked up by the FBI and they turn him into an informant. He uh, infiltrates, basically, the Black Panthers and he befriends uh, Fred Hampton, the the head of the Chicago chapter of the Black Panthers, and is a he's a rat. He uh, he informs on the the Black Panthers. He informs on Fred Hampton, and he ultimately is uh, the guy who helps the FBI set up the assassination of Fred Hampton. So he's not a good person. <laughs> he's a bad, bad man. And one of the criticisms I've seen about the film is that his motives are unclear. And to me, that doesn't bother me, where I'm like, I think this he was a weird dude, you know? But, uh, and like, maybe his motives in his own head weren't clear so I don't know that didn't that didn't kill the film for me but one of the criticisms I've seen that I agree with and I think is actually historically significant in our sort of like collective consciousness is that I think all of the actors in the film are much older than the real historical figures that they are portraying in the movie. So Fred Hampton was a, he was a little baby. He was 21 at the, at the time of his assassination, I believe. And Daniel Kaluuya is not 21. Um, you know, all, all credit to Daniel Kaluuya. He looks great. Incredible actor. One of the best working actors right now, but he's 31. And I do think it's significant that if you're a person watching this film and you have no historical knowledge about Fred Hampton or the Black Panthers, that decade makes a huge difference because it is important to know that young people can have incredible impact on, on history, on our lives, and you're not too young because oftentimes older people will try to dismiss young activists as being too young, being too naive, being too inexperienced. But time and time again, we see in our own history that young people change the world. And I think this would have been a very different film if they had cast an actor who was really 21 <laughs> and looked much younger. So, and again, if you like watch footage of Fred Hampton, it's like th this was a very, very young person who was incredibly intelligent, a captivating speaker, an amazing leader, incredibly inspirational, and therefore a threat, and the FBI killed him. But it's important to know that he was also very young and, and like, had his shit together, <laughs> even though he was 21 and led a revolution. And that's really exciting, and that's really inspiring. So I do agree with that criticism, where it, that matters, right? It matters that... I also just think it's, like, creepy 
this is sort of a, a tangent, but any sort of like depiction of young people where they're like in high school and they they cast older actors. I just think a lot of young people growing up consuming this kind of media in which older actors are portraying young characters can kind of fuck with your head. Because, I mean, I don't think I saw a realistic portrayal of what it was like to be an adolescent to like eighth grade, the film Eighth Grade by Bo Burnham. Like, when you're a kid, you can barely talk, you know? Like, you can, like articulating your thoughts is a struggle. And people don't speak in perfect paragraphs. And most people aren't hot. And everybody's incredibly awkward. And I do think there's a value to seeing that authentic portrayal of youth on screen. So you don't feel crazy or alone. Like, oh, shit. They're like you know, ugly and awkward too. Cool. Me too. I won't always be this way probably, but right now that's my truth. I don't know. Am I, am I way off base with that? Is that a weird tangent? Probably. I don't know. But Judas and the Black Messiah, that's a recommend for me. That's a recce rec. Um, and sort of a good companion to watching Judas and the Messiah is Small Axe, which is on Amazon right now. It is Steve McQueen's new project. It's an anthology series about West Indian immigrants in the 1960s-ish United Kingdom. And, you know, every episode is, is wildly different, I will say. And I would at least recommend sticking with it until episode two. Episode one is longer than and uh, longer than any other episode in the series, and it is like a high drama court show. And if you don't know it's an anthology, you might be like, is this every episode? Every so the episode one is two hours. Every episode after that is an hour. So if the two-hour thing scares you, just know that not every episode is two hours. Maybe not everyone has a short attention span like I do, but anytime I see like anything is over two hours, I do panic a little bit where I'm like, oh God, I'm going to want to be on my phone. And it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's a film. It doesn't matter if it's a TV series. It doesn't matter if it's a drama or, or comedy. God, if it's a comedy and it's over two hours, you should fire your editor. But you know what I mean. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. Over two hours, I'm just like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. It's captivating. And I don't want to get you too excited, but Letitia Wright is in the first episode. So if you're a fan of Black Panther, if you're a fan of Letitia Wright, it's always great to see her. She acts her little butt off in small acts. She's just so good. I just want her to be in everything, you know? So I highly recommend Small Axe. It's just, and, and I highly recommend you get to episode two. Episode two is an episode called Lover's Rock. And the entire episode takes place at a house party. And it's so well done. It's so well paced. There are just breathtaking scenes. One of which I believe is an accident. Uh, Steve McQueen, I believe, said that this isn't a spoiler. It's just a shout out to a beautiful moment. When you film a dance scene in anything, anything on, on film, usually you can't be playing the music. So you play the music for the actors so they get like the sense of the rhythm and like how fast they should be dancing and stuff. And then you film them dancing without the music. And then you add the music afterwards just for like sound quality issues. So I guess what the actors were doing was singing so they could like keep time with the music. And so Steve McQueen filmed the actors just singing and dancing. And it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And it just, you know, reminds that Steve McQueen is fucking good at what he does and is so talented. And again, we'll literally watch whatever he does. So highly recommend Small Axe as well. And then finally, everybody, final, final recommendation 
in the recommendation section from me. And this is a story that's going to come to play later in the episode in one of our good news stories is Never Rarely, Sometimes Only, which is a, a, a quiet little film, little indie film, about a young girl who unexpectedly becomes pregnant, decides she does not want to carry the the baby to term and wants to get an abortion and it's about the journey she goes on and it, it weirdly becomes like a road trip movie because she lives in you know Philadelphia I believe Pennsylvania and she and her cousin hit the road and go to New York City so she can get an abortion and featured in the film is Planned Parenthood and specifically my Planned Parenthood. <laughs> the first one she goes to is in Brooklyn. Uh, they ultimately have to send her to the one in Manhattan to get the procedure done because she is further along in the pregnancy than she thought because she was fucking lied to by creepy anti-choice people. Uh, so she ultimately has to go to the Manhattan Clinic to get the procedure, but whatever. Uh, the first Planned Parenthood she goes to is in Brooklyn. And I was weirdly like fangirling just because I have had nothing but positive experiences at that Planned Parenthood. And the staff is amazing and and so helpful and so supportive. And I don't know, they just make you feel really safe and, and protected anytime. And I, I should add too, I've like only gone for routine checkups and stuff, but I don't know. They're just like a really nice crew and, and I like them. And I don't know. I just had like a strong swell of affection for Planned Parenthood where I was like, let's all go make a donation to Planned Parenthood right now. They do such amazing work. And that is going to come back in our good news section. So highly recommend Never Rarely, Sometimes Only. I just want to re uh, remind everybody as well, I do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. Always, always interested in hearing your recommendations over there, no matter how weird or random they are. Because I think sometimes when I say, listen, I primarily do want recommendations for like films and TV series and music and stuff like that, books you're reading. But sometimes y'all are watching some weird shit on YouTube and you're like, you want to hear about this? And I'm like, yeah, I do actually. And nothing is too random. Nothing is too niche because you know what? You're never actually alone. Anytime you're like, man, I can't, I have to be the only person in the world who finds this interesting. You're not. And in fact, the more specific it is, the more excited people get when they find somebody else who's like, Oh, you like that weird thing too? Me too. It's like you find your tribe. It's so exciting, you know? So are you into wood turning, you little freak? All right, send that recommendation. Hey, you into fucking pens? Not like having sexual intercourse with pens, but I'm emphasizing how into pens you are. Are you into pens? Send a fucking recommendation. That shit's weird. But you know what? Everybody who listens to this podcast is weird. I have never met one normal person who listens to this podcast. I'm not normal. My brain's soup's broken. So don't feel judged. Safe space. And, oh, anti-rex as well. Let me emphasize. We can get negative on this show. Don't worry. So if you saw something and you're like, yuck, even if I recommended it and you're like, Allison, I mean, be respectful, obviously. But if I recommend something and you're like, yikes, Allison, what? Way in. I'll read it. And you know what? I won't even be a bitch about it. I'll consider it. I might not agree with you, but we can have a dialogue on this show. I'm down. I'm not afraid. Patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. On that note, everyone, it's that time of the show. Let's all hold hands and cry. Here's your bad news. Texas. Fucking yikes. I obviously want to talk a lot about Texas and what's happening and what's continuing to happen 
even though I've seen some encouraging updates from some Texas listeners, some of my followers on Twitter that they are getting power back. That's good. Although a lot of people still don't have water. Very, very bad. I just want to talk a little bit up top about solidarity. Hi, everybody. This is a political comedy podcast. We make jokes. Maybe sometimes the jokes miss the mark. I'm all for people, you know, pushing pushing boundaries and whatnot, but I don't know. I, I'm just a believer that it's not cool to punch down while attempting comedy because it's not fucking funny, right? It's not funny to kick somebody when they're down. It sucks. It makes you a shitty person, and I don't know. Like, there were some attempts at jokes made on Twitter at Texas's expense and making fun of Texas because conservatives, I guess. I don't know. It it sucked. It made me feel bad when I, I saw it. And here's how I feel. I think even if you are a bad person or a conservative, <laughs> which is oftentimes synonymous, I think you should have power and water and all the basic amenities you need to survive, including stuff like food and shelter. And I want you to be okay. I don't agree with you on anything. I don't like you. I think probably if you voted for Trump, you're a racist. But would I ever say I want you to fucking die in the dark, freezing to death? No. Of course not. So, I don't know. Those jokes sucked. I didn't like those jokes. I have solidarity for all poor people, regardless if they live in red states or not, because they're fucking poor. And that is inexcusable in a country as rich as the United States. Everyone, everyone, everyone should have access to shelter and food and health care and water and electricity. And... We should have a basic universal wage. We can do all of these things. We can pr provide for everyone. And not just citizens of the United States. People who come to the United States undocumented. We have enough riches to take care of everybody. But Jeff Bezos has to pay a little bit more. Oh, can I? No, I have to save that rant. Sorry, everybody. I saw Nomadland. I'll talk about it next episode. Um, it's great. I just have a Amazon rant that I was going to go on. No time. Allison, focus. So I want to talk about Texas. I want to talk about what's happening in Texas. CNN, uncharacteristically, has a good rundown of the history of what the fuck is going on with electricity <laughs> in Texas and like why this happened to the grid system. So I'm just going to read a little bit from it because I think it's interesting so you actually have to go back to 1935 when President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signed the Federal Power Act, which governed electricity sharing and sales between the states. Basically, everybody, it allowed the federal government to regulate states who brought power in from outside their state's lines. So Texas, this is going to shock you all to hear, set up its own power grid system because they were basically like, the feds are trying to tell us what to do? Fuck no. So they went rogue, as Texas is wont to do. You know how they are constantly trying to secede. Um, and they set up their own power grid system, split between northern and southern Texas to avoid federal involvement. So that eventually led to the formation of ERCOT, E-R-C-O-T. Uh, and you've probably been hearing a whole lot. Of, I actually don't know if it's pronounced the acronym, if they say ERCOT or if they say E-R-C-O-T. I'm going to say ERCOT just because it's easier to say. It stands for the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. It's an independent organization that operates Texas's power grid. So that's ERCOT. And you've probably been seeing that name a bunch and hearing it a bunch in the news because everybody's mad at them right now. So 
ERCOT is formed in 1970. So that means, and this is super weird, there are three power grids in the United States, East Coast, West Coast, and Texas. So it's a big fucking power grid, right? So Texas has always had this thing where they're like, we have to be independent. We, we hate the feds, right? We hate the federal government. So that gave enormous, no pun intended, power to ERCOT. So they control like 90% of the electricity in the state. Now, the problem with all of this is that there is like a complete lack of federal accountability. So that means like regulation is not great and infrastructure maintenance, although I should say too that infrastructure maintenance is not solely an issue for ERCOT or or Texas. The United States is falling apart infrastructure-wise. Don't ever read any reports on the conditions of our tunnels or our bridges, or you will literally never sleep again. Like, the fact that we have not had tragedy over tragedy after tragedy of bridges collapsing is, like, a borderline miracle. Especially here in New York City, our bridges are so fucking old. Um, and, I mean, we see what happens, right? When we get hit by a superstorm like Sandy our subway tunnels just fell apart because it's like, yeah, our infrastructure is so fucking old. It can't withstand storms like that. So climate change is going to be an issue. So that briefly is the background of like what ERCOT is, why Texas has this weird power grid system. So Texas gets slammed by this cold front, right? Which is not completely out of left field, right? Like they had some warning. They war- they like sort of loosely warned people where they're like, hey, it's going to get fucking cold. So maybe stock up on stuff. But regardless, Texas is not a state that is used to this kind of cold. And it sucks to see people on Twitter like, oh, wah, wah, we have three feet of snow. Yeah. Do you know how many New Yorkers die every year when we get hit with a heat wave? And Listen, maybe there are shitty Texan people on Twitter who make fun of New Yorkers when when we're dropping dead in the heat, but I don't know. I don't remember ever seeing it at that level where they're being like so mean and cruel. It's like, yeah, if you're not accustomed to this kind of climate, you're more vulnerable to dying. And Texans are not used to intense cold like this. And I also did see like, you know, really positive, lovely stuff like people in the north sharing tips about how to stay warm through all of this. And that's good. That's that's really good. That's what we should be doing. Show fucking solidarity, right? With people. Um, Oh, speaking of which, everybody, I wanted to shout out. Bear with me. I can't make a co-host vamp right now. But I wanted to shout out some places to donate. And I will post this on Light Trees and News' socials. So if you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, I'll post this there of places you can donate. Um, So just quickly in Austin, Austin Mutual Aid, Street Forum ATX, Austin Free Fridge, Houston, Houston Mutual Aid, Houseless organizing coalition, crowdsource rescue. There's also information for Dallas, El Paso, San Antonio, Rio Grande Valley, Corpus Christi, Laredo, and Amarillo. So I'll post that on social media. Please donate if you can. Um, All we have is mutual aid at this point. What I'm hearing from people on the ground in Texas sounds very familiar. Uh, It sounds exactly what we heard and saw during Superstorm Sandy in New York City, which was no help from, from the federal government. And not only that, no help from traditional institutional aid organizations like the Red Cross. I did not see the Red Cross once 
during the Superstorm. Sandy, don't fucking give money to the Red Cross. They're a hustle. They're a business. They don't help people on the ground. If you want to help people on the ground, you give to mutual aid organizations, which are run by real people from the community who know how to help the community, who will actually help the community, who like put food in people's hands. That's what needs to happen. So all we have is mutual aid at this point. And that's why I think solidarity is so important too. Like kindness and and showing love for each other. And like, I don't give a shit who you are or who you voted for, not in this moment. We can fight about all that later. We will fight about that later, by the way. <laughs> like, that is a real issue. And and I don't want to downplay any of that. But I'm not here for political tests when people's lives are in the balance. And that sucks that you would rather make, like, a snarky little tweet then think about it for two seconds and be like, oh shit, no, people are really suffering right now. And it actually, it's really hard for people right now. And maybe I shouldn't add to that kind of like toxicity because people are just trying to figure out like, how do I stay warm through the night? Anyway. And then it will, of course, not shock you to know that the blackouts because there is this shortage of electricity because the grid's a fucking mess and like wires are freezing and and fuses are blowing so governor abbott decides that we're going to do rolling blackouts to uh, ration the electricity so lo and behold it turns out and again this will shock you so i hope you're sitting down i hope you're not driving a vehicle of any kind These blackouts are disproportionately affecting the poor and non-white communities. I know, I know. It's shocking in the same way it's shocking that these reports are coming out right now that's like, did you know COVID is like killing way more black and Latinx people? And it's like, really? You don't say in America? In our egalitarian medical system? What? Like, of course, no shit. But, of you know, it's important to acknowledge. And people in Texas are talking about how, like, the wealthy suburbs aren't getting their power cut in the same way. And it's like, surprise, fucking surprise, here we are again. In America, in 2021. Okay. So, that's what I wanted to say about Texas. And I, I do want to... Stress that obviously, yes, this is an issue of class. This is an issue of race. Um, This is an issue of classism and racism. and, And all those things are true. However, I don't think it's helpful or productive for anyone to be like, well, they're a red state, so fuck them. I mean, just on a a practical level, liberals do live in Texas. But also, it's appalling that that would be the thing that makes you care about this. Like, oh, there are liberals in that state? I suddenly care. It's like no different in my mind than when Trump basically told California and New York to go fuck ourselves because liberals live in those states. Like, you are a monster, dude. You're a monster if you deprive people of basic amenities like that. Obviously, it's much worse in in his case because he was president and had tremendous power. And, like, I don't think you should be, like, publicly egged for your tweets or anything. Because, you know, anybody tweeting like this, I mean, for the most part, uh, probably doesn't have a lot of power. Probably can't actually hurt anyone. But I do think it hurts people in Texas when they see stuff like this. And it's just something I've noticed with a lot of liberal northerners, this tendency to shit on the South. It sucks. It sucks. Because we're all fucking poor. And the South is dope. Like, do sucky people live in the South? Yeah. I've met a lot of sucky people in the North, too. I've met a lot of racists in the North. If anything, we're more segregated in the North. Like, where is this fucking superiority complex coming from? There are amazing organizers in the South. You know who lives in the South? Stacey fucking Abrams lives in the South. Like, show respect, man. Like, I don't know. 
Is this age? Is this me just getting older where I'm just like annoyed by people all the time? I don't know. All right. Let's yell at Joe Biden. Because I feel like that's something that could really bring everybody together. Because, you know, we're, we're still in the first 100 days and Joe couldn't even make it the 100 days without uh, already backpedaling on several promises. You know, we've talked a lot about the where did the $2,000 checks go? Now they're $1,400 checks. We still haven't gotten them. Okay, that, that check keeps getting smaller and smaller, baby. And we still haven't gotten it. And what's going on? Y'all went on fucking vacation. Don't worry. We're going to talk about Ted Cruz in a second. That's in the good news section because it made me laugh so hard. But, you know, like, we're already backpedaling on promises. ICE is still doing fucking raids while, while Biden's pretending that, like, his amazing progressive immigration bill is 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 going to be so life-changing for people. But it's like, but you're still doing raids? Okay, cool. Um, so there was a proposal early on by many, many Democrats to cancel $50,000 in student debt. Um, and Joe Biden has now definitively <laughs> rejected that proposal. He said during a CNN town hall on Tuesday, quote, I will not make that happen. And Joe, why should you? It's only tremendously popular among your base and would make a lot of fucking sense to do. It's like... This is why I can't ever get excited when the Democrats win anything. Because I'm just like, my immediate thoughts are, how fast are you going to sell out? How watered down is this bill going to be? You know, like with very few exceptions that I can think of off the top of my head. They suck. They suck. Now, obviously better than the alternative, right? I'm not one of those liberals who's like, both parties are the same. Because, you know, I understand how... The parties are different when it comes to issues like voting rights or abortion access. There are immigration. There are like definitive differences between the parties. However, both parties are controlled by corporate interests. Let's just be real. I'm sure there was tremendous pressure put on the Biden administration on day one, probably before day one to buy a lot of huge financial institutions not to cancel student debt because guess what? They make money off of it. They make money off of interest rates. They make money off of your debt. And if you cancel a trillion, it's I'm sure it's over a trillion dollars at this point, of student debt, they lose a lot of money. So that was never going to happen, right? Like they were never going to allow that to happen. So I'm unsurprised that this is happening right now, but it still fucking sucks. It sucks. And I just don't want the Democrats coming back next congressional race being like, why did we lose the House? Why did we lose the Senate? Because you suck. Because the majority of people in this country, the overwhelming vast majority of people in this country are fucking poor. And a large percentage of those poor people went into poverty for the horrible crime of daring to pursue an education. Something that was afforded to every other generation before us that didn't have to slide into irreversible debt to do it. I love getting financial advice from boomers. Because it's like, you have no fucking idea of the world we live in. Just walk around and hand out your resume and you'll get a job. Really? It hasn't worked that way since 1970. They just have no idea. And like, that's not to necessarily shit on boomers. I shouldn't be ageist. I know that. But they just live in a different reality. And I don't think they understand how fucked from like Gen X on every generation that came after them is. We were born into a world where we're guaranteed to be locked in debt forever. We're never going to own property. And a lot of people who tried to own property got into mortgages and were immediately underwater because of adjustable rates. You know, nobody's going to retire. And 
I don't think the older generations understand how bad it is. Or maybe they're in denial. Or maybe they don't care. I don't know. But guys, on that note, that's enough of the bad. Let's get to some dang good news and make fun of Ted Cruz. Here's our good news. Before I get to uh, making fun of Ted Cruz, Rush Limbaugh's dead. He did. And that's great news because he was a racist, misogynist, homophobe who I sincerely wish was burning in hell, but unfortunately, hell isn't real. But the important thing is, he's dead, he's gone. And I know that doesn't fix anything. I know that all of the problems I just listed still exist. We have to deal with them. But Rush Limbaugh's dead. And that's dope. Because he was an evil human being. And it's okay to call people who were evil, evil when they die. Because he's dead and he can't hear us. And it doesn't fucking matter. And I don't care about harming anybody who loved him although can you imagine loving Rush Limbaugh yikes dark reality but this was a man who played a segment on his show where he made fun of victims of AIDS who had died like this was as evil as a human being as you can imagine you know, obviously it is true that he was a, a pioneer when it came to talk radio and all that. But what that means is he was at the forefront of radicalizing media and pushing it to the extreme right and embracing conspiracy theories, including birtherism, which was the racist conspiracy theory that former President Obama was not born in the United States. This man was a racist. And it's okay to acknowledge reality. You know, it's okay to acknowledge the fact that Rush Limbaugh was a racist, and it's good that he's dead because that's one less racist. That's how I feel. You know, I went to school in the Midwest, not to brag. I went to Illinois State University. Shout out to normal Illinois. And one summer, I worked at an insurance company. And on my lunch breaks, I would eat lunch in my car because I'm a sad person. And also there was like no cafeteria and I was trying to save money. So I would bring my lunch and eat in my car. And so I would listen to talk radio to entertain myself. But this was normal Illinois. So the only channel I could pick up was playing Rush Limbaugh. So I listened to Rush Limbaugh every fucking day for the entire summer. And I should say at this time in like my political awakening, I was not awakened. I was not woke. Not that I profess to be like super woke, right? Like I know I fuck up. I know I'm human. I have flaws, all that stuff. But I think I know more now than I did when I was like a dumb college student, right? Uh, so even though I had no exposure to like other political talk radio, obviously like things like MSNBC didn't exist at that time, you know? So I was very politically naive, but even though I was incredibly politically naive, when I listened to Rush Limbaugh, I knew this was the dumbest man alive. I was just like, what? How could anybody think this shit? This is wild. How many people listen to this show? Oh, my God. You know, obviously unsurprising because normal Illinois, central Illinois is basically the South. I stand by that. Uh, a lot of racists uh, and a lot of conservatives. And other than ISU, which every election, <laughs> it was so funny. Anytime you looked at an electoral map, there was like this sea of red and then a little blue dot. And the blue dot was... ISU because a lot of people from Chicago go to school at ISU 
and but they tally all of our votes because we live in dorms so we're residents tech technically so all of the little chicago votes went blue and then we were just surrounded by a sea of red so this was a very conservative area it wasn't like surprising that rush limbaugh was the only show on talk radio and that he was tremendously popular but even though i was surrounded by conservatives i was still like man, this dude's dumb and incredibly popular and incredibly dangerous. I'm glad he's dead. Let's move on. Let's make fun of Ted Cruz. Holy fucking shit. So uh, everybody knows the story at this point because it blew the fuck up. I actually am sort of surprised that it was as big of an issue for him as it became. And I think it's just because, you know, obviously what's happening in Texas is such a fucking catastrophe and a tragedy like people are dead we don't even have a, a, a count right now because the story is ongoing but people have died from this it is a it's very very serious in the midst of all of this ted cruz abandons his state and decides he's going to cancun mexico with his family which is so fucking funny but also so pitch perfect for a rich privileged person because look Ted Cruz didn't do anything that every other rich person isn't going to do when climate change really goes down which is they're going to flee the area and we're going to get to Heidi Cruz in a second and whoever snitched on that group text because that is so fucking funny to me Oh, I love whoever snitched on Heidi Cruz so much. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Listen, are you probably evil too because you're friends with Heidi Cruz? Probably, but you done good snitching to the New York Times. That is so funny. So, and that's not to excuse Ted Cruz, right? Like Ted Cruz is an evil piece of shit. He's, he's the worst. But also this is what rich people do. They have the means. They don't care about poor people so they leave right it's like it sucks in texas right now it's freezing there's blackouts their house apparently was very cold and they were like let's just get the fuck out of here so they did you might say that ted cruz crossed a border for a better life for his family huh sounds familiar sounds like a familiar story I'm glad he was able to cross the border when he needed to improve the quality of his life for his family. But apparently that only goes one way, right? We can go to Mexico. Mexico can't come here. What are you doing? Are you trying to cross the border? I don't think so. So Captain Dum Dum decides that he's going to take his family to Cancun. And it turns out, shockingly, people recognized him at the airport so immediately these photos appear online of like him in the lounge him on the plane with his daughter and his daughter is eating like a couple noodles um and it blows up it blows up on twitter because i mean the optics of it are just catastrophic you know you are abandoning your state when your constituents need you to go to Cancun for vacation. By the way, Congress has not sent out checks yet. So y'all went on vacation and all of Congress can go fuck themselves. Every single one of you that you went on fucking vacation and nobody has a check yet, fuck yourselves. But to go on vacation, nobody has a check. Your state is freezing to death and you go to Cancun during a pandemic. A pandemic when you shouldn't even be traveling. Ted Cruz, but especially not now. So like the optics of it can't be worse. So this goes like beyond viral, right? And immediately he has to start doing damage control. Uh, and the story that comes out is so funny where, again, Ted Cruz, who is a piece of shit, can't start throwing people under the bus fast enough. So he immediately blames his daughter, which is insane, an insane thing to do. 
and sort of makes you reflect on that video. I remember at the time when that video came out of Ted Cruz attempting to hug his daughter and his daughter's like pulling away from him. And this clip went viral. And a lot of people at the time were actually like, hey, that's really unfair to Ted Cruz because, you know, kids can be moody. Maybe they just caught his daughter on an off day. Like it can't be fun to have to live in a bus on the road during a campaign. And, you know, maybe she just had an off day. And like, honestly, at the time when I saw that reasoning, I was like, yeah, that does kind of suck that they took like this one moment and they're trying to infer that like he's a bad dad or something. But honestly, after his response to this, I'm like, yeah, I think your daughter fucking hates you, dude. Like, and I don't fucking blame her. I hope your daughter grows up to be like the coolest lefty chick ever. I hope she moves to Brooklyn. I hope she becomes like a hippie lesbian artist and like lives her life and is so happy and gets the fuck away from you. But like, maybe your daughter fucking hates you because you suck. Like you're a bad person. So he puts out this statement <laughs> where he says, this has been an infuriating week for Texans. The greatest state and the greatest country in the world has been without power. We have food lines, gas lines, and people sleeping at the neighbors' houses. Our homes are freezing and our lights are out. Like millions of Texans, our family lost heat and power too. With school canceled for the week, our girls asked us to take a trip with friends. Okay, that's important. Everybody remember that. Wanting to be a good dad... I flew down with them last night and I'm flying back this afternoon. Fucking what? My staff and I are in constant communication with state and local leaders to get to the bottom of what happened in, Tex in Texas. We want our power back, our water on, and our homes warm. My team and I will continue using all our resources to keep Texans informed and safe. Okay, let's break this down because this is the most wild statement I have ever read in my life. Okay, immediately throws his daughters under the bus. Uh, this vacation wasn't even my idea. My dumb daughters wanted to go to Mexico and I'm such a fucking good dad. I'm humoring them and I'm going down with them. What the fuck are you talking about, dude? Can you imagine being his daughters coming back from vacation and their friends being like, how was your vacation? And them being like, good, my dad used me as a political body shield. Like, holy shit. What an immediately clear way to tell your children you don't give a shit about them. You're political fodder. Like, I will throw you under the bus so fast that your heads will spin. Like, what an evil fucking dude, right? Then let's break down this wild part. <laughs> Wanting to be a good dad. Again, I'm such a good father. This is why this all happened, right? I flew down with them last night. I'm flying back this afternoon. This is such a transparent lie. It's fucking hysterical because, again, you idiot, people photographed you at the airport and we saw how much luggage you had. He was clearly at least going to stay a week. And he's claiming that he was going to come back. You know, you know how you casually drop off your entire family in Mexico and then just come right back same day? You know how all the normal people do that? Fucking liar. Like, immediately clear he's lying. Okay. So we got to talk about Heidi Cruz because I, I could rant for hours about this. So the New York Times obtains a text message. Text messages. I'm so sorry. Sent by Heidi Cruz, who is the wife of Ted Cruz, asking a group chat of friends and their neighbors if they were up for an impromptu vacation in paradise. So Heidi's pissed because they lost power, like every other Texan, right? So she's complaining on this group text. She says their house is freezing, all, all caps, because she's pissed. And she proposes this getaway to Cancun. And she's inviting everybody else to join them at the Ritz-Carlton in Cancun, where they have stayed, quote unquote, many times um, in rooms that cost $300 per night. Just want to add that. And she stresses that the hotel has good security, which is important. So somebody on this group chat, bless their heart, snitched 
and sent the group text to the New York Times. Now, this is important, right? Because these fucking evil assholes tried to blame their daughters. And they said it was all the daughter's idea. They wanted to go to Cancun with their friends. And now we have Heidi bitching on a group chat where she's like, I'm cold and I don't like it here. You fucking evil, selfish, privileged assholes. It was your idea. Of course it was your idea. You know how I knew it was your idea? Because you're the fucking adults and you control the finances. And if you didn't want to go to fucking Cancun, you'd tell your two daughters to go fuck themselves because clearly you have no problem telling them to go fuck themselves when they're like a convenient fall guy for you. I don't even know if you like your daughters. So of course you wouldn't go to Cancun unless you wanted to go to Cancun. And he is a fucking coward. And we know this about Ted Cruz, right? Because, I mean, Trump called his wife ugly and he said nothing. Ted Cruz is a fucking coward. Nobody likes Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is a bad man. None of this is surprising, right? What is surprising me, however, is that it blew up to the extent that it blew up and is actually causing Ted Cruz, like, some problems. The fact that he had to cancel his vacation is very, very funny to me because you know he was pissed off. I am genuinely wondering, because everybody hates Ted Cruz, right? So that includes like the entire Congress and um, I'm sure all of his aides and like nobody, nobody, nobody likes Ted Cruz. Um, Actually, one of my favorite anecdotes about Ted Cruz comes from Lindsey Graham, who I want to be on record as saying is also a massive piece of shit. But he had this amazing quote about Ted Cruz where he said, if you killed Ted Cruz on the floor of the Senate and the trial was in the Senate, nobody would convict you. That's how much people hate Ted Cruz, including his own colleagues, okay? So I am wondering if his aides, when they found out that he had to come home immediately because this was such a fucking optics catastrophe, fought over who would get to call him and tell him because that had to feel really good to be like, sir, sir, hi, hi, can you hear me? Okay, can you go somewhere quiet? Yeah, I got, no, 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 sir, it's important. I got to tell you right now. You have to come home immediately. No, 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 I know you were super excited about this vacation and to go to like a warm climate and to get out of your fucking um, freezer of a house. You have to come back immediately. Yeah, it's going to be really expensive. Yeah, you're super pissed. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, are you really mad? You're, you're mad, right? I bet they were giddy. And I'm happy for them. I'm glad they got to make that phone call. Um, even though like, you know, you shouldn't work for Ted Cruz and if, you work for Ted Cruz, you're a collaborator and, and all that stuff. But um, I don't envy anyone who has to breathe the same oxygen as Ted Cruz, and I'm sure it's awful. So I hope for a second they were like, ah, that's nice. And it was just one of those nice moments on Twitter where, you know, especially after all of the, the snark about Texas, where it was nice to see people come together in a very funny fun way to make fun of Ted Cruz, but also reminisce about all the other times Ted Cruz has been a piece of shit. And it's just nice to know that he's been very heavily inconvenienced by this. And it actually, he's had to put out like multiple statements at this point because it is very much an issue for him and will continue to be an issue for him because again, he abandoned his states, his state during a emergency that is killing people. So that's going to be an issue for you, my dude. You know who didn't abandon their state? Beto. You know who raised a lot of money for your state while you were flying off to Cancun? AOC. The woman that you tried to have killed by a murderous mob invading the Capitol. Huh. That's weird that she raised more money for your state and she helped more people in your state than you did. While you were going on vacation, she was taking care of people in your state. And I don't know if people are gonna forget that. I hope they don't. I hope people have a long memory about this one, but who knows, who knows. And then finally, everybody, I teased this one at the beginning of the episode. This is the story about Planned Parenthood, South Carolina has suspended, has been forced to suspend, I should say, a new law that would have banned most abortions. A federal judge on Friday 
um, suspended this law. Judge Mary Lewis put a 14-day temporary restraining order, so it's not a permanent thing, on the law. And will renew it until she can hold a more substantial hearing on March 9th. But this is all thanks to Planned Parenthood. Um, they are doing amazing work. They challenge this really draconian law. And it's uh, it was called the South Carolina Fetal Heartbeat and Protection from Abortion Act. It's similar to abortion restriction laws that a dozen states have already passed. All were stopped from taking effect and are currently tied up in court. Uh, in no small part because of the efforts of Planned Parenthood, they're one of the institutions that always comes in and fucking sues these states for trying to deprive people of their right to determine the fates of their own bodies. So thank you, Planned Parenthood. Please give to Planned Parenthood. Please give to these Texas organizations. Um, you know, radical mutual aid is the only way we're going to survive, guys. To, to put it as starkly as I can, if we don't take care of each other, nobody's going to take care of us. It's just the way it is, baby. But, you know, also, I, I, I do believe a, a strong federal government is the way to help the most people. And I hope... I hope we can return to that at some point is what I'll say. Thank you so much for listening. And while you're at it, stay inside and cause a little trouble. 